Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams begins the series, Blessed or Cursed. Throughout this series, we will look at the reality of just how blessed we are. However, we live as if we are cursed. This week, Brandon explains that it is only through Christ that we may uphold the law. Today we are starting a new series. It's called Blessed or Cursed. A um, little precursor to that or a little, uh, I guess, disclaimer. Um, it's not maybe what you think about as blessing or maybe what you think about as cursing. This is not like a Harry Potter movie, like magical cursing. Um, this is just the truth of what the Bible tells us, that if we do certain things, if we live a certain way, um, if we have faith in Christ, if we walk and do certain things, the Bible says that we'll be blessed. The Bible says that we'll have life in Christ. I'm not talking about a prosperity message or this thing that, you know, if you give a thousand dollars, you'll have 10,000 next week. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is a blessed life living in the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what comes, a blessed life living in the circumstances of what Jesus is. That was the, the trees popping up and the birds and everybody was having a good time. And then we got to the curse part, right? And things started falling out of the air. Trees started dying. You know, if you saw that video, some of you saw it. Um, and, and, we realize that there is also this reality that certain things and certain choices and certain paths we walk down um, lead us into what the Bible calls a cursed life. And we realize that um, there is no life in that, that true life only comes through Christ. And so we're going to look over the next three weeks at three different things that the Bible tells us lead us to blessing and a blessed life in Christ and three things that lead us to a cursed life. Um, and being separated from God. And so if you will, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Galatians chapter three. This is where we're gonna be today. And we're gonna begin in verse one. First, what I'd like to do is pray for us and then we're gonna jump into the word. And I'm just believing today that, that on Father's Day, my prayer and my hope is that you would encounter the life-changing, life-giving love of your perfect heavenly father who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you on a cross that you could be united with him forever. Amen? Well, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for being good to us. We thank you, God, for loving us. We thank you for your word. God, today I pray that whatever we have made church about, whatever we have made our relationship with you about, God, whatever it is that, that has hindered us from setting our eyes on you, that today, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit and by our turning to you, they would fall to the wayside and that we would be um, just, just so passionately in love with you, Jesus that our eyes would be fixed on you and that you would do incredible works in our lives, that your glory would shine through us and that we, God, would find what it truly means to be in a relationship with you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you guys, but for me, a lot of times, um, and what I've been noticing the older I get is I start noticing more tendencies in my life. I don't know if you guys have noticed that as you get older. Um, I was sharing with our, our, our connectors, those who volunteer at the church this morning, that one of the tendencies that I've noticed in my own life is that as I've gotten older, I've had a tendency to desire sweets more. Anybody, I don't know, if, is, that, is that something that just happens to people? I, I don't know, but I know for me, like if, if used to, if you would put brownies and ice cream in front of me, I'd be like, I don't, that's all right. I'd rather have a cheeseburger or something. Now you put brownies and ice cream in front of me and you better watch out. You know what I'm saying? Because that, that's like my favorite dessert. It is incredible. In fact, now I will eat less food at my meal so that I can eat more dessert later. I love sweets. I don't know what it is. I go to my mom and dad's and 
I walk into their house and my mom's got this little lighthouse looking thing and the top pulls back on it and if the batteries are in it, it's like, you know, it makes this noise. And, and she always keeps those little bitty candy bars down in that little lighthouse. And every time I walk in there, it's like I am drawn, like the lighthouse draws me to it. And, and I open it up and I get those. And you know, if you eat those little ones, you don't feel like you're doing anything wrong. You're like, it's just a little bitty one. And I'm sure it takes like 20 of them to equal one candy bar. So I'm just popping those things in there left and right, eating them like crazy. And, and, and I love sweets. I've gotten where I absolutely love sweets. I've noticed that tendency over my life that the older I get, the more I love to have sweets, especially after a good meal, man, I love it. Um, I've also noticed, you know, being Father's Day, a tendency that probably most of us or a lot of us have realized in our own life that we do become a lot like our parents, don't we? Like I didn't think that would happen. I remember when I was little, my dad would do things and I'd be like, I will never do that. And now I do it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm becoming my dad. Not that it's a bad thing, but we swore we'd never do it. But it's like the older I get, the more I tend to become like my dad. When I was little and I'd get in trouble, my dad would do this thing. He'd like, he'd, and some of your dads or your moms may have had this thing that you knew when you were in trouble. Like my dad would look at me and he, he would kind of turn his head to the side, look at me out of the corner of his eye and cock his jaw to the side. And I knew then, I'm like, I'm dead. At that point, it's too late. Whatever you did is done and you're dead. And now I notice like when my children are pushing my limits and we get to that point where it's about to be all, you know, just throw down. I do the same thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have become my dad. There's a tendency that we tend to kind of grow um, to do the things that our parents did, to say the things that they did. Now everything that we, we have at our house will put your eye out. You know what I mean? That's what they told us, every, everything. And so we, we get to this place where we realize these tendencies about ourselves and about other people. And I've even realized, and this is the, the, the thing that I want you to see right here. There's a tendency in the church that, that, that it has infiltrated the church. And that tendency is this, that we typically, as Christians, start out in faith, and then by faith, I mean this, we start out in this place where we begin to trust in Jesus for salvation. Like we recognize we are sinners. We recognize we have, have rebelled against God. And we come to this place of realizing we need forgiveness. And we come to Jesus and we say, God, I need you. You're the only one who can save me. You're the only one who can do in my life what, what has to be done. You're the only one who can reconcile me back to God. And do you remember that moment? Those of you who, who are saved and who know Christ, you have a relationship with Jesus. At that moment when that happened, did it not feel incredible? Like to know that the weight of the world, the sin has been taken off of you, that you have finally been free to have a relationship with God. And you're like, woohoo, this is awesome. And then for most of you, like six months later, you're like, what happened? All of a sudden, this thing kind of becomes like a burden. And this joy and freedom you had in Christ, all of a sudden, seems to begin to be something that weighs you down. And that seems to be the tendency in the church, is that people come to Christ in faith, and then all of a sudden, we begin to heap loads upon them, these, these things that you have to do, these do's and these don'ts, and do this, don't do that, don't do this, do that. And then, all of a sudden, this thing that's supposed to be freeing, this thing that's supposed to be giving us life, this relationship with Jesus that is supposed to invigorate us and give us strength to live for God, all of a sudden becomes one. One more burden that we have to carry. 
It's like this, you come into church looking for hope. Some of you have walked into this church looking for hope and you were promised hope. If you come with me and you'll find hope. And here's the thing that happens so many times in church. Come here, let me introduce you to God. Come experience God with me. Come experience Jesus. And they walk in looking for hope and what we give people are a list of rules and regulations and laws that they have to follow in order to be good enough. Those do not give life. Or people come in to the church and, and we're like, listen, God loves you. And we sing just as I am. And people are coming to the altar and they're weeping. And they're like, I want to be a Christian. I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus. I want to have a relationship with God. I want to have a relationship with Christ. You heard that Jesus forgives sins. And you're like, yeah, that's what I need. I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven of sins. And then they're like, well, he'll accept you just as you are. And you're like, okay, I want to be saved. And they pray a prayer with you. And then all of a sudden they're like, now you're not good enough. You need to do this. Right? Don't talk like that. Don't do that. Don't act like that. Don't drink that. Don't smoke that. Don't say that. All of a sudden, oh gosh, we didn't know you had a tattoo. Have you got a tattoo? Really? You have a tattoo? Well, we, when we prayed that prayer, we did not know you had a tattoo. If we had known you had a tattoo, we, well, we would have said a different prayer. Wow. And so there's this reality that, that we come into church and all of a sudden it moves from this thing of faith in Jesus to these things you have to do. And the intention of it is good because the Bible wants us. I mean, that God wants us and the Bible teaches us we should become like Christ. The intention of it is that we would become like Jesus. The problem is that we begin to move away from what changes our hearts and begins to create us to be like Jesus back to this rules-based life that does not do anything but cause us to be frustrated and burdened. It's a reality that we've all experienced. I've experienced. I still at times experience it when I take my eyes off of Jesus and I begin to do anything else to try to make myself right before God. And here's the thing. When we begin to live and we recognize a tendency, when we're in an environment, when we're in an environment that, that, that um, our environments would tend to magnify the tendencies in our life. Does that make sense? That's why if you're, if, if you're an alcoholic, you don't hang out in bars, right? Because the environment tends to magnify the tendencies. Like if you're a glutton, you don't hang out at Krispy Kreme. You know what I'm saying? Especially when the hot now signs, you do not hang out at Krispy Kreme. Not a good recipe. So our environments tend to magnify our tendencies. And in church, man, when our environment is do this, don't do that, do this, that is the environment that the American church has created. Our tendency is to always drift back. And the one thing I want you to hear today is that whatever you have made this relationship about with Jesus, anything that is not about him, I pray today that you will lay that to the side and that you will simply focus your eyes on him. Focus your eyes on Jesus. Listen to what Paul tells the Galatians in, in Galatians chapter three, verses one through five. He says, you foolish Galatians, literally translated, he's like saying, you idiots, why are you doing this idiotic thing? He's not, like, he's not trying to make them feel good about them. He's like, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Listen, he's saying, I painted the picture for you. I told you he was crucified for your sins. He, he died for your sins. The curse that you should be under was placed on him. He died. I painted this picture for you. You clearly saw it. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? In other words, did you receive the spirit by the things that you did or by believing in what Jesus did for you? That's what he's saying. 
Are you so foolish? After beginning with the spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Does that sound familiar? That we start out in faith, believing in Christ and trusting in him for our righteousness and our salvation, only to then begin to live out of our own human effort, trying to make ourselves good enough, trying to make ourselves okay, trying to make ourselves pleasing to other people who honestly you probably don't even hang out with outside of church. And we care so much about what they think. He's saying, is this what you're doing? Are you trying to clean yourself up by human effort? He says, have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Listen, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Listen, he says this same sentence right here twice. Or because you believe what you heard. He says it right there in five. And then if you go back up into two, he says, or by believing what you heard. He tells us twice. He's like, did you receive the spirit? In other words, did your heart change by what you did or what, by what Jesus did? Did your, did your life change? Did this relationship with God, was it initiated by what you did or by what Jesus did? And the answer he knew, he wasn't questioning what had happened. He knew what happened. What he's saying is, you know, this, you know, this is how it happened. You didn't even start this thing. How do you think you can finish it? He began this good work in you. He is faithful to complete it. And yet there are Christians in here today who are burnt out, washed up because you've been trying to clean yourself up for far too long. And we've gotten away from simply trusting in Jesus. From simply putting our eyes on him. The problem in the church is that we'll often say we trust the Holy Spirit to bring people to Christ. But once they're in Christ, we don't trust the Holy Spirit, God, to do in them what needs to be done. And so we step in and we begin applying rules and we begin to apply this. And we tell them, look, you need to look like us. You need to smell like us. You need to talk like us. You need to dress like us. And if you don't, you're not welcome here. And so pretty soon over the life cycle of a church, what you'll begin to see is people of one color, people of one socioeconomic standard, people of one background, people that dress the same, people that do the same things. Because if you're not doing the same things we are, you're not welcome here. If you don't look like us, then don't come in. I would say that is a far cry from the church that Jesus died to create. And it happens when we begin to try to impose our laws, our rules, our desires on other people. And we quit trusting God to do what he can do. Paul's telling them, listen, you couldn't take the first step in this journey. Because the salvation isn't the end. Salvation is the beginning of a journey. He's saying you couldn't take the first step in this journey. How in the world by your own effort are you going to complete it? That's would be like this. If I ever came up to you and I said, listen, this is the deal. I've decided to run a marathon. Somebody laughed. If I ever say I decided to run a marathon, seek medical treatment fast. Because that, if I do that, that would not, I would be out of my right mind, okay? I, I did a little research on that. That is actually 26 miles and 385 yards. That makes me tired thinking about it. 26 miles. And what if I came up to you and I said, listen, this is the deal. I think I can run a marathon. If you can get me through the first hundred yards, I think I can do it. 
I can't make the first hundred, but I think I got the other 46,145. That's a lot of y'all. That's a lot of steps. I can't do the first ones, but if you'll do the first ones, I'll complete it. That's basically what we're saying. When we come to faith in Christ and we trust in him for our salvation, and then we begin to turn away to do other things. When we begin to turn away to to earn it by coming into church every Sunday and we come with the wrong motive, we come not because we want to worship God or because we want to be encouraged in the word. We come simply because if we don't, we feel guilty. Or we try to have perfect Sunday school attendance. Why? Well, I don't know, just because. That's what you do. So many people today are sitting in church, not out of a love for Jesus, but because that's what you do. My thing would be sleep in. My goodness. If, if, if that's all we're doing, if that's all it's about, sleep in. We don't come in and, and sing songs just to pass the time. We come in because we worship the God who saved our lives and changed our hearts. He saved our souls for eternity. We don't see Jesus as a cheerleader who who urges us on to do good things. Ra, ra, ra. We see Jesus as our lifesaver, our savior, the one who gave his life so that we could find life. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. That's the one we set our eyes on. That's the one who's begun this race. That's the one who's going to finish it. That's how we're going to finish it. That's how we're going to become more like Christ is we set our eyes on him. We fix our eyes on him. We trust in him and we begin to follow him. And so we read this in, in Galatians and we begin to realize that's exactly what Paul's saying. Don't start out in faith and then begin to try to do it in your own effort. I got rebuked this week. I don't know know how many of you have ever been just rebuked by God. I get rebuked by my wife sometimes, but I got rebuked by God. I mean, rebuked. I left here last Sunday. I don't talk about this as much as I used to. Learned to deal with it a little bit better. But a lot of times when I leave on Sundays, man, I'm like, I'm already drafting up like the resignation letter. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like in my mind, I'm like, I'm horrible. Like last week when I left this place, I was like, I need to send a Facebook message out and apologize. That was terrible. I don't even, I felt, I, I walked out and I felt like they had no clue what I said. For 45 minutes, I stood up there. They had no clue what I said. I mean, I just felt like the whole message was just scrambled. And I'm like, somebody else can do better than this. Let somebody else do better than this. I need to get out of the way. I'll I'll gladly do what John the Baptist said. I'll become less that he can become more. I'm like, ah, man, I suck. And I'm riding down the road and and, and I always tell my oldest son this and and Jackson's not quite old enough to to hear it. And if I told him, he wouldn't care anyway. So I tell Dave all the time, I'm like, Dave, listen, son, man. I want you to be better than I am, man. I want you to be a better dad. I want you to be a better father. I want you to be a better Christian. And Dake's like, well, I ain't being a preacher. And I'm like, you don't have to be a preacher to be a good Christian, Dake. It's fine. I promise you don't have to be a preacher. And then I said one sentence. I said, I wish I was better than I am. And right when I said that, it was as if the sovereign hand of God came into my truck and slapped me upside the head. 
I was like, Pfft. I don't know if God's ever spoken to your heart where like he, you, you thought one thing and then a whole paragraph got downloaded in your heart. I was like, oh my gosh. And the Lord said, do you realize what you just said? It's like, no, sir. You wish you were better than I am. He said, do you not realize by you questioning how I created you, you are questioning me? And then I thought about it. I wish I was better than I am. What did God tell Moses his name was? I am. What did Jesus say seven times in the book of John? I am. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. And I realized in that one sentence, I'd summed up so much of what is wrong with our church and with Christians today. We wish we were better than I am. And rather than trusting God and how he created us and trusting God and what he can do in and through us, we try to do more than I am. And so we began to try to earn our way to God rather than trusting in his all-sufficient grace that has been poured out through Jesus Christ. The great I am has created you for a purpose. The great I am has created you to do amazing things through you. He has provided a sacrifice so that you can be made whole and righteous through Jesus. He has died for you so that you can have a relationship with him. If we would spend as much time focusing on Jesus as we spend doubting ourselves and doubting what God can do through us, our lives would be completely different. Paul goes on and in verses six through nine, he actually refers to our father Abraham. You remember that song, Father Abraham? You know that guy? he refers to him and he said, he goes back and he talks about out of Genesis 15 where Abraham believed God. God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, listen, I know you're an old man. Abraham was like a hundred years old. He goes, but I'm gonna give you children. I'm gonna give you offspring. And he says, I'm promising you this. And Abraham's like, Lord, I'm a hundred. And they ain't invented that little blue pill. How are we gonna, how's this gonna happen, Lord? How is this gonna happen? And he's like, I know you're 100 and I know Sarah, she's 90, but I got this. And eventually he does. But the Bible says that when God told him that, Abraham believed God. And the Bible says he accredited it to Abraham as righteousness. He credited it to him as righteousness. And so Paul goes back to their own history, to the history of the Jewish faith, to the patriarch of the Jewish faith and of the Christian faith, Abraham. And he says, listen, you got to understand Abraham wasn't made righteous by what he did. He was made righteous by trusting God. And he's telling us right here that you are made righteous in faith in God. And he even goes on in other scriptures and talks about how Abraham was looking forward to Christ. He was looking forward to the day that God would make a way for us to come to him through faith. I want you to understand today that coming to Christ, coming to God, righteousness in God is not through what we can do. It is simply through faith. That is how it worked with Abraham. That is how it works with us through Jesus. It was credited to him as righteousness because he believed not because of what he did. I want to read Galatians 10 or 3, 10 through 14 to you real quick because right here, Paul does something that's awesome. He kind of brings this one little argument to this climactic point. And what he begins to show us is two different paths. It's where this blessing or cursing comes from. And he lays it out real clear for us to see like there are two paths we can walk. 
There are two different ways we can go. One that leads to blessing and one that leads to cursing. So listen to these in verse 10. It says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith, we might receive the promise of the spirit. The first one I want you to look at, the first path, the first road, the first way to life. Listen, he says, this is a way to life. Is in Galatians 3.12. It says the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the man who does these things will live by them. In other words, if you do the law, you'll live by it. And he goes back and he quotes Leviticus 18.5. And he says, you can live by following the law. He said, but understand this, you can't do it. You can't follow the law. In other words, you can't be good enough. Let me tell you what the law, the law was the commands that God had given his people Israel, all right? They were in one book, in one part of what they believed, in one part of what they trusted in. There were 613 laws that came out of the first five books of the Bible called the Torah. 613 laws. Anybody want to try to follow those? Anybody think that we can uphold those perfectly to God's perfect standard? No. No. I mean, we can go back and listen, we can go back and look at just the first, the biggest 10 that we all uh, are are familiar with. We've all heard of, at least you've seen it on the back of somebody's truck or on a yard sign in somebody's yard, the 10 commandments, right? I saw a sign the other day that said, obey the 10 commandments. I'm like, good luck. Because I know in and of myself, I can't obey them. But I know that through Jesus in me, I can that I can become more and more like him. I mean, if we just go through these and you begin to look at them, the very first command, you should have no other gods before me. Now, here's the thing we go to is like, we don't necessarily worship Brahma or Vishnu. We don't throw out some of these gods that other people worship. But here's the thing I would ask you, what has your devotion? What has your affection? Because that's the thing that you worship. And so many times things become gods in our lives. We don't even realize it. But listen, if if you read and check in on your stock portfolio more than you look at the Bible, you probably worship your money. If every waking moment is spent thinking about work and thinking about how to make a little more or thinking about how to get the next promotion, and our time and our mind is consumed with not thinking about God or not even talking to God or not even spending time in God's word, but it's spent on those things. Our God is probably our work. What has your devotion? If you look on down, he says in the second command, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above. And listen, I don't imagine too many of us go home and we've got a little shrine set up with little trinkets that we worship. But you know, you can make anything an idol in your life. Baseball can become an idol in your life. Listen, uh, children can become an idol in your life. Guys, listen, listen, college students and, and, and single people, listen to me. 
a, a, a girl can become an idol in your life? What do you worship? What has control over you? A guy can become an idol in your life. What is it that you worship? What have you set up in your life that has taken that place of preeminence, that place of authority, that, that, that throne of, over your life? What is it that has that seat? That is what you worship. Our churches, our world is full of little gods. And for too many of us, Jesus has simply become one God among many. He is not a God. He is the God. He's the one we worship. If you go on down, you look and it says, you should not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And everybody in here, I mean, most of us would probably say, well, I would never say GD. I would never, never use that kind of language. But what about this? Every time we say we're a Christian and we go out and we live this life that we say is the Christian life and we don't live it correctly, people look at us and we carry the name of God. How are we representing his name? When people see our lives, do they see Jesus? Y'all remember last week I told you about how I keep my cool at ball games? And I told you like, I don't act crazy because I realize I'm a witness for Christ. I, I realize that when I'm out there, I'm out there for the glory of God and the baseball game's not worth getting and, and, and all that over. You know, it's not worth tarnishing my testimony. <clears throat> yeah, I, I kind of did that this week. Um, we we're playing in a ball game and it got a little intense. And man, I end up finding myself arguing with an umpire over nine and 10 year old baseball. I, I will say this, I didn't cuss. But I was like, he, he, he missed three calls in a row. I mean, you gotta go out there, right? So I went absolute Bobby Cox on him. I started to go Billy Martin and kick dirt, but I didn't. I'm like, how did you miss that? And this is the thing, the whole time I'm talking to him and he's looking at me, he's like, I didn't miss it. I was like, you missed it. I didn't miss it. You missed it. I didn't miss it. You missed it. And, and we're, we're arguing. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm representing God. I'm arguing at a nine and 10 year old baseball game. I realize that there are times when we misrepresent the name of God. He goes on and says, remember the Sabbath day. Listen, when's the last time you rested? When's the last time you rested? Well, we went to the beach. You took three kids. That's not rest. You can't go to the beach with three kids and rest. I'm sorry. Not unless they're over like 15. And then you probably still didn't. When's the last time you rested? You know, the reason we don't rest is because our gods don't let us. Our gods don't let us. We have to continue to pursue them. And so we can't find time to rest. The next one is honor your father and mother. Can, I, can we just all agree we mess that one up? Everybody in here, we've all messed that one up. You shall not murder. And listen, 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 there's probably, um, the chances are maybe there is somebody in here who has actually committed physical murder. I mean, that's, that's a real possibility and that's cool. I'm glad they're here. Listen, but the reality of it is Jesus took this to a whole nother level. He said, listen, the, 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 the law said this, don't murder. He says, I tell you this, if you're even angry in your heart, you sinned against God. Oops. The next one, you go on down, you get to number seven. He says, you shall not commit adultery. For one, the, the number of people in here, there are several people in here you have. God offers forgiveness for that. 
And he offers restoration to relationships for that. But before we, the church, cast a judgmental glance or a judgmental stare at them, we need to realize that Jesus said, for those of you who have looked lustfully at a woman, you have sinned. You have already committed adultery in your heart. Can I go ahead and say this, men, including myself? Pretty much disqualifies all of us. Ladies, you too. We've all broken that law. We've all broken that command and it says you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor in other words don't don't talk about things this was literally in like in a court of law don't say something that's not true but how many of us in here have ever stretched the truth or minimized the truth just a little bit to make us look better and make somebody else look worse come on everybody we've all been there we've all done that and then it says do not covenant and oh my goodness, Christians are the worst at this. Like we covet each other's stuff. That's why like somebody in the church gets a new truck or, or, or God, Lord forbid the pastor gets a new car. Well, I don't know why he's got to have a new truck. Isn't he a man of the, of the, the cloth? I don't, I don't get that. Why don't he take that money and give it to the poor? Why don't you sell that mansion you live in and give it to the poor? Don't look at me. It's crazy. Somebody gets something new and they're like, I don't know why they did. You know, the only person that I found really in scripture that got mad when somebody spent something expensive? There was a lady named Mary who poured expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. And when she poured it on his feet, Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, looked at, looked at Mary and looked at the disciples and said, that's a waste. Why didn't she sell this? And give the money to the poor. And Christians do that all the time. Our motive isn't that, well, I wish they'd give more to the poor. If that was the case, you'd be giving more to the poor. The reality is, we're jealous of what they have. And the only reason we get jealous of what people have is because the only people we look at are the ones who have more than us. We never look at the people who have less. We don't realize how blessed we really are. And so we covet all these things. Listen, that's just 10 of the commandments. 10. We could go through the other 603. But I don't know about you, but I think I've broken all of those. I'm good. Right? I think, I think we can move on because what I realize is exactly what Paul says over in Galatians chapter three. He says, listen, it is clear that those who rely on the law are under a curse. What is the curse? Sin and death. They're under the curse. No one, he says, is justified. No one's made right before God by the law, by observing the law. No one. And so then he gives us this great and awesome promise. He says, or here's your other option. In verse 11, clearly no one is justified by God, before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. He actually quotes Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous will live by faith. He says, listen, 
this is terrible. There's a lot of despair in this, but understand that here is the good news. The fact that Jesus has died for you. The Bible says he became a curse for you, that he took on the sin, that he took on the death for you so that you could have life. And now if you put your faith in Christ, you begin to put your faith in Jesus. You can walk in the blessing of God, which is justification before God, the forgiveness of sins. And you can have the Holy Spirit living in you so that you will be taken from glory to glory more in the image of God. That's the good news of the gospel. Listen, we come to faith when we hear the word. I want you to understand this Bible is so amazing because within the Bible between cover to cover contains the hopeless state of man. Hopeless. And yet from cover to cover, it also contains the great hope of man in Christ. I want you to see this. Listen, every page of this Bible points us to Jesus. And if anyone ever points you to anything other than Jesus for the solution to your problem, they are a heretic and a liar. And that includes me. There is no other solution. The solution is Christ. Period. And that's what Paul is trying to get them to see. He says, you came to faith by hearing the message and responding. The spirit prompted your heart to be moved to respond to the gospel. He didn't do anything to earn it. It was by faith. And I want you to see today that it is by faith that you are saved. And it is by faith that you continue to live out the gospel life, that you continue to walk in the ways of Jesus. Not by what you do. And see, this is hard for us to understand, but in scripture, faith and the spirit, they're, they're so interwoven that, that, that you can't separate them. The Bible tells us to walk by faith, meaning walk in the ways of God. The Bible also tells us to walk by the spirit. He's saying those go together. When you come to faith in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. When your faith is weak, you're weak walking with the Spirit. When your faith is strong, you're strong walking in the Spirit. And so we have to realize that when our faith is strong, we are able to walk according to the Spirit. What is faith? It's not just believing. The Bible says that the demons believe and they shudder. I want you to think about faith as this. Faith is taking hold of Jesus. It is literally grabbing hold of faith is that, that, that trust that grabs hold of him and holds on for dear life, realizing he is the only source of life. The greatest illustration of this that I can, I can possibly give you is, is my 19 month old Reed. Like he, he'll come running in and, and he'll grab me. He's like, da, 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 da. you're like, oh, that's so cute. And then he comes up and he grabs your leg and he won't let go. And so I'm like, literally, I'm walking through the house like this, trying to put my stuff down. He's grabbed on my leg. Just dragging him around. Sometimes even Jackson will do it. He'll sit down on my leg and I'll just have to pull him through the house. Won't let go. Oh, my son, let go. And you know what I end up doing? I'll end up reaching down and picking him up and taking him with me. I think that is such an awesome image of how God works in our life, how faith works in our lives. It's that we hear the message and we respond to the message and we grab hold of Jesus. And listen, you still haven't done anything. Your, your faith is not what has the value. It's the object of your faith that has the value. It's Jesus. 
You've just grabbed hold of this, this free offer of grace that God's given us through him. And we grab hold and we hold on. And you know what happens? We go where Jesus goes. We walk in the spirit. We hold on for dear life, realizing that he is the source of life. He's the best way. And there are distractions and there are things that come by that they look good and they're tempting, but we know this is the way to life. Listen, Romans 10, 17 tells us this, that faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. You became a Christian. You came to faith by hearing the gospel that Jesus Christ became a substitute for you on the cross, that he died for your sins. He delivered you from sin and death, from the curse of the law, that you could not uphold the law. He lived it perfectly for you. And now by simply trusting, by laying hold of that great promise that he has made um, a sacrifice for you and given you perfection you could not attain, you have come to faith if you are in Christ. It also tells us that faith comes when we hear the word and respond. So how does our faith continue to grow? We continue to hear the word and respond. I gotta close this out, but I wanna read you one more scripture. The Bible in Hebrews 4, 12 tells us this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Listen, that is pretty hopeless when you consider our lives. That we have to give account for everything? That God sees it all? He says, and when you look into this word, this perfect word of God, you begin to see who you really are. That is uncomfortable. That is so uncomfortable because I realize this, I'm not where I need to be. And it shows me my hopelessness. But then there's verse 14. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What is he saying? He's saying, look into this word, spend time in this word, see who you really are. Let it reflect your image like a mirror. See who you are apart from Christ. But instead of despair, let it lead you to worship. Listen, you can't do it on your own, but we have a high priest who has blazed a path to heaven for us, who has done it for us. And if we'll put our trust and our eyes on him, he'll take us to that place. He will begin to take us from glory to glory. He says, therefore, you don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with your weaknesses. He was tempted in every way as we are. Satan threw everything he had at him and he didn't sin. He threw everything at him. 
He's been tempted as you are. You're tempted with porn. He understands. You're tempted with adultery. He understands. You're tempted with depression. Listen, he understands. What you're walking through, Jesus understands. He overcame it. He's not some distant God that sits off on a throne and looks at you and says, good luck, buddy. He's a real God who is really in your life and who really wants to be involved. The problem is when we begin to look to other things to try to satisfy this hole in our heart and it cannot be satisfied by anything or anyone other than Jesus. That is the problem. Understand that you have a God who has literally blazed a trail to heaven and who right now sits at the right hand of God and makes intercession for you. I have people come up to me a lot of times. They're like, will you pray for me? I'm like, yeah, I'll be glad to pray for you. But you need to understand my prayer is not any different than anybody else's prayer. I don't have a red phone by my bed. But you know what? If Jesus is praying for us, if Jesus is interceding at the right hand of God for us, that's pretty special. And we begin to discover this in his word. We begin to get into the Bible. We begin to see who we really are. We see the hopelessness of man, but we also see the great hope that is in Jesus. And it leads us to worship. And listen what he says. He says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Listen, this thing is not about what we can do. He didn't say, so then let's do something else. He didn't say, so then let's go to Sunday school again. He didn't say, let's do another Bible study. He didn't say, let's start another ministry. He said, so then, since we have this high priest who has made sacrifice for our sin, who intercedes on our behalf, who has blazed a path to heaven, let us draw near the throne of grace with confidence. Get in the word of God, draw near to the throne of grace with confidence, press into the Lord and begin to realize who he truly is. I'm telling you, if you want to become like Jesus, get your eyes off of sin and put them on Christ. Draw near to God. The Bible promises if we do, he'll draw near to us. And my heart today, y'all got to understand, and I'm, I'm, I'm three minutes past. But y'all got to understand this. Whatever you have put your eyes on that is not the pure, unadulterated gospel and good news of Jesus Christ. Today, my prayer is that you would take them off of that and put them on Jesus. Whatever church has been about for you, whatever it has looked like for you, my prayer is today that you would put them on Jesus. You would see the reality of who he is. Listen, some of you, you have tried church and you've tried religion and you've, you've seen this and you've seen that and you've, you've had an emotional experience. But the reality today is that God offers you a real relationship with a real God. And all we have to do is look to him, turn our back on our sin and walk to him. And he says, listen, you can walk in the blessing of my life that I give through my spirit. That's the promise of God. And I wonder how many of us have changed the life-giving relationship that Jesus offers for the substitute of religious activity that brings nothing but burden. Don't settle for religion that brings nothing but frustration and disappointment when God has given us the real thing, the real deal in Jesus, a very real God who is living and active and who is a part of your life. Let's pray.